You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 298 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. I took a week off to attend AWS reInvent in Las Vegas, but I'm back with a great guest that I met at RubyConf 2019. Dee Dee Lavender currently works as a back-end engineer and is the director of Women Who Code, Raleigh-Durham. The juxtaposition of analytical thinking and creative problem-solving is where she is happiest, and she is particularly thrilled about working in that sweet spot while writing code. When something is hard, she goes deep to understand it. Definitely ask her about encryption. When not coding, you can find her listening to audiobooks, driving small people around town, or coordinating something somewhere. Welcome to the show, Dee Dee. Thank you, Brittany. I am so excited to be here and to talk about encoding. Um, and this is my first podcast, which is which is a double excitement for me. That's so great. And you know, I just love to have new people onto the show. So I'm super excited to he- uh, have you on. And I'd love to know what your developer origin story is. Well, um, after a, a somewhat winding life as an adult and uh, finding work in a variety of industries, I decided to open a retail store. And um, that was that was quite an adventure. Uh, in the process of opening that store and running it, I discovered that I am not shopkeeper material. And I started thinking about what I might do next. A friend introduced me to a friend of hers who was a developer and we got talking about writing code and he said, well, you should try these different tutorials online and come to this meetup where we're going to like create a a Rails app. And of course, I don't even know what Rails was. Um, But I started looking at the Odin project and working through that and I was totally hooked. I was staying up way too late, not getting sleep, trying to fit it into all the nooks and crannies of my life. And um, I was hooked. And through the folks that I that he introduced me to, um, it was actually TJ Stankus, which which you may um, have heard of. He works with Sandy Metz a lot. Uh, TJ introduced me to some people, and I found my way to the Iron Yard, which had just opened in Durham, um, which is a coding boot camp that is closed down now. And I decided to do their Ruby on Rails course. Um, And at the time, they had a job placement guarantee where the price of the coding school would be refunded if you didn't find or if you didn't get an offer within six months of graduating. And so it felt like a really safe investment for me. I have uh, three kids and I needed to sort of launch quickly into the next thing after selling my store. Um, and so I completed the course at the Iron Yard and within I think three or four months of graduating, I had two offers that I had to choose between and I was off. That was almost five years ago. That's amazing. So you and I graduated from boot camps around the same time. I saw this really great tweet the other day that reminded everyone that if you graduated from a boot camp about five years ago, those are the people who are now getting promoted into those senior positions. So make sure that you're taking care of your junior developers and really finding opportunities for them. 
Do you have any advice for any junior Rails engineers who might be looking for a job now? Is there anything that you did that was particularly tenacious to get those two offers? Well, it sounds so trite to say it, but it really is about networking. And both of the offers came from connections that I had made in my local developer community. Um, so even if in your local area there isn't a developer community to speak of, I do think that you can find a way to network online takes a, a sort of different approach than networking in person. Um, but building relationships with people is a great way to do it. And um, there are lots of organizations online to help support that network development for new, for new engineers. I couldn't agree with you more. So let's go ahead and dive into your RubyConf talk, how to become an encoding champion. I'm going to go ahead and read the description because it was so good that when I was reading the RubyConf program, I basically told everyone that I needed to go to this section. Character encoding happens every time we interact with a computer or any digital device. There is no such thing as plain text. Understanding how encoding works, how Ruby handles encoding issues, and how to strategically debug encoding snafus can be a great asset in your developer toolbox. We will cover a bit of history, deep dive into Ruby's encoding methods, and learn more tricks for managing encoding in your application. So first off, Didi, where did the idea of this talk come from? It came from work. It came from a bug that I had to decode that had to do with encoding. Um, and I think because encoding usually works, this isn't an area that we spend a lot of time trying to understand. And so I found myself several years into my coding career um, and, and kind of facing this encoding issue. And I was really like, I felt like I was at a brick wall. I did not know what to do next. Um, so I just started taking it apart and reading everything I could about all the methods in Ruby that have to do with encoding. Um, and I had recently done some deep work on encryption, understanding encryption and the different encryption methods. And so then I found this interesting place where um, these two things are sometimes used interchangeably. Uh, and, so, and so then I just wanted to understand encoding more. Um, so the company that I work for now, Spreedly, does a payments conference every spring and they ask employees to give lightning talks. And so I had just solved this encoding issue and I was like, Oh, I'm going to do a lightning talk on encoding. And I had so much fun putting that talk together that I decided to um, see if, if anybody would be interested in it as a full length conference talk. That's awesome. So to start off with then, um, what does encoding mean? What is its purpose? The word encode is, is really simple. It just means to convert something to a coded form. And the purpose isn't to keep any secrets. It's just to transfer information or transfer data um, in a way that can be easily consumed by the intended recipient of the data we want to communicate. So how many encodings are out there in the world? And is there particular encodings that we are going to see mostly as Ruby on Rails developers? 
Well, um, we should we should specify that lots of things can be encoded, um, and when we're talking about encoding in the context of work as developers, we're talking about specifically about character encoding, so that we can um, communicate through computers, and we know that computers um, trans or process data in terms of bits, ones and zeros, and and of course we use language to communicate, and so character encodings transfer our language to those ones and zeros. And as far as how many encodings are out there, I, that that is not a known number. Um, there are encodings that are now obsolete. There are encodings that were never recorded or counted, um, and and. Basically, when we talk about encoding in this way, what we're saying is that there are all these different schemes or codes to transfer language into ones and zeros. And, and um, there's no way to know how many encodings there are in total out there. I kind of like that because it's not a known number. New things change all the time. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for explaining it that way. So you are probably the closest thing that I know to an encoding or an encryption expert. So congratulations <laughs> on that. But how are encoding and encryption different? Well, so in, I, I think I said earlier that encoding is not meant to keep something secret. We're not trying to um, hide anything or, or prevent anyone from understanding the data. But, but encryption, of course, does intend to keep things secret or, or to obscure or prevent access to the data. Um, and so to decode something that has been encoded, you only need to know what scheme was used to encode it. Uh, with encryption, it's a little different because, um, you know, like there are algorithms and um, you need to, often there are keys that are used to facilitate that encryption. And so without the key, you couldn't decrypt. Um, so one is meant to be private and one is not. Encoding is meant to be just a way to, uh, to share data in a different format. And encryption is meant to keep things private. That makes a lot of sense. So during your talk, which listeners, we will link to in the show notes, and you can definitely watch Dee Dee give her full talk. She does an amazing job of explaining just the history around encoding. And so I'd kind of like to dip into that and ask you about the history of ASCII. So ASCII stands for the American Standard Code for Information Interchange, ASCII. And um, in the 1960s, after computers had been around for a while and, and folks had come up with encodings, character encodings to communicate with the computers, um, it became clear that there needed to be some standardization of this encoding process so that there could be intercommunication between computers. And so in, in the 1960s, they came up with um, it was 128 
bytes, which is a group of eight bits, and they mapped one byte to one character. Um, of those original 128 codes in that, in that first uh, ASCII publication, over 30 of them uh, were used like for um, kind of operation con control codes. And so those are, are no longer used. But the rest of them were dedicated to the American English alphabet, uppercase, lowercase, the numbers 0 through 9, and then a few other uh, punctuation characters. And so those ASCII, um, that first set of character encodings became the standard in the 60s. That's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing that history. We are going to take a quick break, and trust me, I have more questions for Dee Dee about encoding on the other side. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Kensington. As a leader in laptop security and productivity, Kensington offers a range of products, including secure tablet and laptop cases, adapters, and docking stations. Their universal docking stations give you access to more ports so your slim Chromebook could be as powerful as a desktop. With plug-and-play functionality without having to install drivers, you'll enjoy a dual 4K display with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors. Interested? Test drive a docking solution today with the Kensington Pro-C program. Visit kensington.com ruby to learn more. Thank you to Kensington for sponsoring the show. Back to you, Dee Dee. So, I'd love to know why multi-byte encodings exist in the world. Well, this is... Um... If we, if we can go back to what we said about ASCII, that one byte was assigned to one character, and then we think about our little tiny English language that has 26 characters, um, this format would not work for other languages. And so around the same time that ASCII was being developed, other character encodings in other parts of the world were also being developed. But for languages that have many more characters than we do, um, some, some languages have character sets in the tens of thousands of characters. A single byte only has 256 possible combinations, right? Like in other words, in eight bits, you can have 256 different combinations. But that just isn't enough if you want to be able to be in a multilingual situation and, and cover other languages. And so expanding the representation from one byte per character to say two or four bytes per character now multiplies your options for character representations in, in an encoding that, that uses these multi-byte uh, representations. What's really amazing about Ruby, and I think most of the community has probably heard this before, is that you are actually able to define a method using an emoji. And I feel like emojis have grown incredibly popular in today's culture, and the word Unicode gets thrown around a lot. So what I'd love to ask you is, what is Unicode, and is it for encoding? Well, um, Unicode is... Is, is an answer to this problem of 
having enough options for encoding many, 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 many characters. And so Unicode emerged um, as an idea in the late 80s and then in the early 90s, it, the first sort of version was released. And basically, Unicode is an abstraction. And if you can think of it as a layer between a character encoding, which Unicode is not a character encoding, but it but it is it is a layer between a character encoding and all of the possible characters in any language in the world. So what Unicode attempted to do was to create this abstraction for any character in any language using something called code points. And so these characters are all assigned a unique code point and then character encodings are used to encode those code points and so there's a group of character encodings meant specifically for encoding Unicode code points called the Unicode transformation format and um, UTF and there are there are many UTF encodings or several I should say um, and then those, so those, those UTF encodings encode the Unicode code point that represents the character or any character, including emojis. That's so great. So you mentioned UTF. And so that, of course, causes me to ask you about my favorite encoding, UTF-8, which seems to be a pretty popular encoding. Why? Well, UTF-8 is the most popular encoding by a enormous margin um, and and part of what why it is so popular is that well i can think of a couple things the first thing is that it is backwards compatible with ascii and so for us here in america it it usually just works utf-8 just usually works because it it maps back to those earliest um, encodings for, that came from ASCII. Another reason that UTF-8 is really popular is it uses a, a varying byte length to represent characters. And so it uses less space than, for instance, UTF-32, which always uses four bytes for each um, code point or character. Um, and so because UTF-8 uses a varying number of bytes, it actually uses the smallest amount of space um, to, to, for encoding. Um, another thing about UTF-8 that's great is that it avoids a problem that multi-byte encodings have, which is um, something called endianness. Um, and I, I want to talk more about this, but I'm going to first say how UTF-8 avoids it. So uh, because UTF-8 is a multi or is a varying um, length number of bytes per character, part of the bits in each um, character representation tell you whether it's an initial byte or a continuation byte. And so um, the order that the multi-byte 
representation is read in is sort of built into UTF-8. Um, so in other encodings, when they have multi-byte representations of a character, you sort of need to know, are we reading from left to right or right to left, right? And this is true of, of human written language as well. Some are written, some are read left to right and some are read right to left. And so when you're using an encoding that needs to know what direction to read the bytes in, um, you, you, you either have to agree to a common format beforehand, which can be, uh, well, cumbersome, um, or you can use something called byte order marks, or sometimes known as BOM, B-O-M. And a BOM will, is like a magic, um, a magic number that will show you what, whether it's being read left to right or right to left, because it either is shown in the correct order or it's shown backwards. If it's backwards, then you have to switch the order that you've specified so it matches what's coming in um, as far as the encoding goes. So endianness is the word that we use to describe whether it's read from left to right or right to left. Um, but really it has to do with um, the least to the most or the most to the least. So big endian is um, when you're when you are the when the bytes a multi-byte encoding is ordered from most to least significant. And little endian is when it's ordered from least to most significant. Sometimes this is also known as high endian or low endian. So this endianness uh, needs to be communicated depending on which character encoding you're using. But the exception is UTF-8. Again, it doesn't, the endianness doesn't matter. And this is part of why UTF-8 has become so popular. I'm so glad that you explained that because I've just always taken for granted that UTF-8 is what I want to use. And so knowing the real reasons behind it kind of makes me appreciate that encoding more and definitely will push me to probably always choose UTF-8 if possible. So let's dive into the actual Ruby syntax around encoding. I'd like to ask you, what is the difference between dot encoding and dot force underscore encoding? Because I've found myself using them interchangeably and it would be good to know the difference. Yes, they're, they're fundamentally different. And the key for me to crack the bug that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode was understanding the difference between these two. So these are the two main methods that uh, Ruby uses to change data encoding. And dot encode actually uh, changes the, the bytes of a string to the, the specified encoding or from one encoding to another. And, and force encoding does not do that, but instead it interprets the bytes using the encoding scheme um, that is specified. And so this is, this is actually really key to understand when you're, deep, when you're trying to debug something, um, because if you, if, you, if you call dot encode on a piece of data and your original data is not preserved, it, it's possible that you can lose data in this process. 
um, because those underlying bytes are changed, if unless your original input is preserved somehow, you'll, you'll not know where you started from, if that makes sense. Um, no, that's actually kind of scary. Yes. And, and that, that to me is the biggest lesson that I took away from my study of encoding that you have to know what encoding scheme was used to properly decode and not knowing that can lead to data loss. Do you have any other Ruby encoding tips and tricks that you would recommend that listeners look into? Well, you know, Ruby is a beautiful language and there are some really simple things that can sort of help, um, help you understand the encoding that you're working with. Um, you can, you can ask a string if it's ASCII compatible, if it has valid encoding, you can look at the byte size of the string. Uh, you can, you can actually pull out individual bytes and translate them back to characters. Um, so I, I feel like there are lots of Ruby methods that can help you tease apart what it is you're looking for. But the, but the biggest thing I would say is to be conscious of encodings and their importance in the work that we do and to think about all the, the times in which human language is being communicated to or through the computer. So that's file level at the database, um, certainly any input that we receive, our application in general. So these are all places where you can actually specify which encoding you're using or which encoding you accept. And so understanding all those different sort of encoding levers is really helpful. I completely agree. I want to leave the listeners with one last interesting thought that you brought up during your conference talk. Is there such thing as plain text? No, sadly, there is not. Any, any text that is generated by a computer has gone through some sort of character encoding process. And so we rely on this concept of plain text without really understanding it. And um, it's one of those things that is worth understanding. We do use this phrase, plain text, but it's, it's a falsehood. Oh, so interesting. Well, Dee, how can listeners follow you? Um, I am on Twitter at, at D-D-L-A-V-I-N-D-E-R, my last name. And um, I'm happy to connect with uh, folks wanting to join the industry uh, through LinkedIn. And I also am a director with Women Who Code and love to talk to folks who have been industry in the industry for a while and try to help find ways to support each other. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dee Dee, and for making encoding so accessible for everyone. We'll be back next week with a pair of guests. Thanks all. Thank you, Brittany. 